His and Hers Horror features two adults discussing horror movies, serial killers, and other spooky content that may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. listening to his and hers horror my name is tia and i'm david and it's time for another random body parts well sort of because i'm taking over i mean yeah you usually you have done that the past couple of random body parts you you've been asking me questions yes so remember a few weeks ago when i said amelia bedelia was one of my favorite characters in childhood literature yes okay so you know how amelia bedelia took things very literally Yes? I'd like to play a game. I'm so concerned right now. (laughs) No, why do you have papers? David, what is this? Did you print shit out, you adorable motherfucker? There should be five. There should be five, but there's only four. What did you do? Is that one doubled up? Mm, Doesn't seem to be. Neither does this one. Fuck. Can we just go with these four? Nope. Because they're a set. Oh. Aha! There's the fifth one. Wow, that was really loud. Jesus. Yeah. This is so cute. What are these? Well, what do you see? I see little papers with question marks on them and the most adorable paper clips ever, also. Yeah, I picked them because uh, on one side it kind of looks like little hearts. It does. They look like little hearts. Indeed. Okay, so what... What's the game here? Well, I'm so excited. (laughs) So here's what happened. I was bored and I was looking for things to go kind of literal with random body parts. Oh, gosh. Why did I do this? Well, here's what happened. I actually came across this thing from uh, greattest.com. That's G-R-E-A-T-E-S-T dot com. Okay. And there's this article about emotional body maps. There's a whole infographic on how our bodies change temperature and have different reactions to different emotions. Okay. So like when someone says, we need to talk, you get that thing in the pit of your stomach. Yeah, or you get, or you get nauseous. If, or, you're, if you're me, you get nauseous. Right. Or if you hear a sudden glass break somewhere, there's you know certain tensions that happen. And it's yeah. real... I mean, it's different for everybody, but across a large swath of people, it's fairly consistent. Consistent, yeah. Yeah. And, and they've got this whole range, you know, joy, happiness, sadness, boredom, you know, everything. And what happens to our body with that? Okay. So that got me thinking about the body. And then that got me thinking about our senses. Okay. So what I did was I played with the traditional five senses. And we're going to unveil them. And these will be prompts for each of my questions. So I basically made it an interactive walking simulator for your ears. Um, that's kind of adorable. <laughs> you all, no, I need to take pictures of these little cards so you all can see what I have to deal with. Or not have to, get to. I'm so excited. Because I know you were, you kept bemoaning how bored you were. And I'm like, I didn't, these are adorable. Okay, I'm going to get started. Okay, so go ahead and grab one. This is the most freeform episode we've ever had. Yeah. I kind of want to mix them up and... Fuck it. Let me pick this one. Okay. So what do you have? It's an ear. Oh, you have an ear. It's a very well-drawn ear. Did you... I, you can't draw this well, can you? 
Oh, no, I just wish I could. No, I just found really nice drawings of your... Uh, well, okay, so... I would swear to God that you drew this yourself. Because it looks like it was drawn on here, not printed. Well, what I did was I, I retouched the image so it wouldn't be so dark. Nice. Um, so, I mean... You're talented. All right, so let's look at sound. Okay. A bump in the night, a shriek in the dark woods, mm. your door opening when you're at home alone. Mm-mm. Nope. Sound is often more than just what we use to listen to music. It's our warning radar, especially for what we're not looking at. Yeah. You know, you're staring at the TV and then you hear something in the kitchen yeah. and no one else is home. Is it the dishes settling or is it something else? I've had shit like that happen. It's very freaky. Me too. So how has sound shaped your experience of horror media at large? When I think about sound, the, the first thing I really think about is music. Mm-hmm. Music has always been a really big part of my life. My parents are both huge music fans. My dad in particular. Oh, like, yeah. Like my dad, I could be incorrect on this, but um, it's my understanding that basically when my dad turned 18, he bought his first house and then he bought like a really nice stereo system and record player. Cool. And he and my mom, those were the dates when they were first dating is they would go to his house and they would hang out and they would listen to records. And I played music Growing up, I played the clarinet, and music has been a very important part of my life, like even now. Mm. So for me, the music has to be there um, for the most part with, with a horror movie, because if the music is bad, even if the story is good, it can it can kind of take you out of it. Does that mm. make sense? Oh, yeah. And there are so many good horror themes and a lot of horror people that have done, when it comes to writing scores and stuff, that have done a lot with very little. Two in particular, and I, I think I've talked about this before, is uh, John Carpenter, mm -hmm. who writes a lot of his own scores, but also Philip Glass. Oh, yeah. Uh, particularly the soundtrack to Candyman, which is just these really great choral vocals and a piano and an organ. And that's it. But it evokes very, very strong feelings in me when I'm listening to it. One of the other things that I think of when I think about sound in horror movies is the sound design also. Mm, Not just yeah. the music, but also the... Um, shit, what am I trying to... What am I thinking of? Um, the atmosphere? The atmosphere, yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would only add personally for me, the two things that hit me are when I watch a horror movie and go... No, you need to watch this with headphones, which yeah. used to not be a normal thing to say, but now there's some with just such great, like you can hear someone walking up behind you or... Well, you know. and there will be, there are some directors that will do like, it's almost like subliminal sound mm -hmm. design where it's, it's not something that your ear actively hears or, well, what's the way, what's the best way to phrase this? You're talking about the drone? Kind of. Yeah. That that thing like that sets you at an unease, but it's like a baseline drone that you get used to. Like you can't actively yeah. hear it, but like your lizard brain hears it and knows it and is mm -hmm. scared of it. Does that make sense? Sure. What about the absence of sound? That, the only film I can think of where you really have to think about the absence of sound is A Quiet Place. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's a and, lot of absence of sound. Well, and the whole thing with that is that you're so... You get so used to having to be quiet 
that like even while you're watching it that like something could happen in your apartment and you're like shut the fuck up (laughs) (laughs) they'll hear us yeah and like you don't even want to you don't want to have a snack or or take a drink of your drink because you you don't want to disturb the silence the, but the absence of of sound in the film, also it makes you also have an absence of sound to the point where some of the some of the tenser bits of that movie, I was like holding my breath mm-hmm. because I didn't the the tension was so high. It's such a good movie. Yeah, there aren't a whole lot of movies, uh, as particularly horror movies, that play with the absence of sound. I can't think of another one that does it really well, other than A Quiet Place. I'd say there there have been a handful I've seen where there might be a non-diegetic score. Mm-hmm. And you're at the climax or the apex of the the scene or, or the climax of the movie, and there's a death blow or or some other you know final piece. And the music stops. Yeah. And you're just kind of waiting for the dust to settle to see what's going on, and it puts you. It almost pushes you to the edge of your seat. Mm-hmm. And does the killer pop back up with a with a stinger, or is it just okay? That's yeah, it. We made it. I did just remember another. Dead silence does that, mm. where whenever the whenever Mary Shaw is near, all, all the sound just dies until it's completely silent. Ooh, yeah. Um, as far as the absence of sound when it comes to horror media, I think it. I think it's better interpreted in um like survival horror games Mm -hmm. so one i can think of in particular is alien isolation oh yeah because there is a mode that you can switch on where the game is actually listening to you through the speakers Uh, it's uh through connect through connect i thought there was another way to do it because there's a way to do it on playstation 2 i thought well yeah but that's uh, i don't have that system right but regardless, um, to where it can pick up on, on sound. So if you're playing the game in that mode and you're being completely silent, but say your doorbell rings because a package is being delivered and you're <laughs> hiding from a xenomorph, you're fucked because it can hear that doorbell. <laughs> oh, what a, what, a, what a great way to meet a parcel delivery or a pizza or something. Thanks. No. Thanks a lot, asshole. Keep the change. I'm dead anyway. Yeah. <laughs> One of the other ones is, um, again, this contributes to the it making me be quiet in real life. I've been playing Outlast 2. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing with Outlast in general is you cannot fight back. Right. It's it's survival horror in the strictest sense where you have your camcorder and some batteries and some bandages. So you have to sneak past everything. And so I'm just like sitting here with the controller trying to get past these cultists. And I'm just like, you can't see me. You can't see me. You can't see me. <laughs> just like whispering to myself. <laughs> it's like, shh, don't look at me. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. <laughs> exactly. The classic hide in a locker and hope no one opens it. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. I guess I live in this rain barrel now. <laughs> All right. Go ahead and grab another card. Another card. Let's do this one. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, you made a grumbly noise. It's various lips and noses. Is yes. it the lips that I'm meant to focus on? No. Like I said, I kind of cheated with the five senses. I combined these two because 
They really do work I mean, together. If yeah. you lose your sense of smell, you kind of lose your sense of taste. That is true. And, I mean, you can still smell if you lose your sense of taste, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. So let's look at taste and smell. In horror movies? So this might be a tough one. Most okay. <laughs> Most horror media doesn't necessarily... They, they try to avoid direct focus on these senses because we can't usually smell a movie or a game or a book. I mean, you can smell I a mean, book, but it just smells like a book. Yeah, although there was that period of time back in like the 50s where they were doing all kinds of like smell-o-vision. Yeah. Stuff like that. Um, but they they probably didn't want to go too gruesome with it because they still wanted to be able to sell concessions. Well, yeah. So smell and taste is kind of primal. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not kind of. It is primal. It is, yeah. Because everybody's done it at least once. If if you drink milk, you'll open the milk container and you'll sniff it just almost reflexively. Mm-hmm. Because you're going, is this bad? Uh, you know, you may do it with other foods or other things. You open it up, you smell it, and you go, okay, it's safe. Or, mm, hey, someone smell this. I, I can't tell. Or, you know, something looks off. I, I mean, that's why I'm still, I feel like that's why I'm still bad at that because I could never really tell. So I would always just give it to dad. Yeah. And that's been passed on to me. I, t- I try not to do it with you because your, your, your reactions are more violent than my dad's. Well, I have a very <laughs> sensitive sense of smell. Yes, you do. Dad, not, dad is not as sensitive as yours. But I mean, even now we can taste things that are off and that could make us sick or, mm-hmm. and, and smell the danger that. You know, we don't want to put this danger inside us, right? Well, and that's, or there's a, um, you know how uh, when a woman is pregnant, certain mm-hmm. smells will make her nauseous? Yeah. That's to discourage her from eating something that she shouldn't be eating while she's pregnant. Cool. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, continue. Well, the smell helps us at least for the dangers that are kind enough to have a smell that goes along with them. That's fair. I mean, carbon monoxide, you know, get a carbon monoxide detector, folks. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there's there's my good deed for the month. Hooray. Are there moments that stand out to you in film, print, digital interactive platforms, images that triggered a taste or smell for you? In a horror movie? In in, in a in horror, horror. Me- in horror? Um, in, in any horror media. Not not really. Hmm. Um the closest I can come to is with the Wicker Man. When I think about the Wicker Man, I also think about apples. Hmm. Because that was one of their whole their whole thing with with Summer Isle is their orchards. Mm-hmm. So I think of like a nice crisp apple when I think about that island. If that makes any kind of weird sense. Sure. I can't really think of any other movie that makes me as far as movie. Well, I, I keep saying movie. I can't really think of any other horror thing that makes me think of food or a taste in like a positive way. Does that make sense? It doesn't have to be positive. Oh, there is one. Okay. And uh, I hesitate to even tell this story, but (laughs) uh, I I don't remember exactly when it was. It was a few years ago. You and I went with our friends, Cass and Allison, Mm, to to see the Green Inferno. Mm hmm. And... For anyone who is unaware, The Green Inferno is a Eli Roth cannibalism film. And when the film was over and we were walking out of the theater, our friend Allison turned to us and said, does anybody else just really crave barbecue now? And I said, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I 
And I was like, I didn't. But now that you mentioned barbecue, it sounds fucking amazing. <laughs> and I feel like that's a that's a fucked up thing to think. I will also say now this is also goes kind of with vision. Back when we were still watching the Hannibal TV series, some of the food that Hannibal made, I was like, you know, that looks fucking delicious. That I like, like, I know he's cooking people, but the, the care and the attention to detail is just so intricate that everything, every dish he made on that show, even the most basic things looked delicious and I wanted to try them. Like, I know that sounds bad to say, but like, I'm fairly confident anybody else who's watched Hannibal knows exactly what I mean. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mind if I throw in my two cents? That's, this is a shared media platform, dear. Right, but here I am asking you questions and then the interviewer's throwing in their two cents. I mean, that's fair. This isn't a press junket. You're allowed to answer questions too. Fair enough. (laughs) Well, something I I don't know if I've ever told you this. <gasps> I'm learning things about Ma- my husband. Well, maybe. I mean, you know, we've been together for a while. So, yeah. you know, we, we talked briefly about, you know, my acute sense of smell. Yes. And you've made note of how my memory is. Yes. I have scent memory. Associated with particular films? Associated with particular images or events. Huh. So if I see a campfire, I can smell the campfire. Mm-hmm. So that makes a film experience, or even a even a book. If there's a scene in a book that's taking place at a lake in the autumn, and there's a campfire, and someone just sat down with their beer, I can smell everything. Yeah, I, I can smell the the bit of mossy decay. I can I can smell someone's beer breath. I can smell the the fire the the air i can i can almost hear a mosquito flying by my ear the last dying fleeting mosquitoes of of the end of their lives all of it yeah i I can i can hear the chirping and chittering and slithering and whatnot you know i can but but with smell it's really intense and i also share your whole thing with the whole hannibal deal and i i too wanted barbecue after green inferno i didn't want barbecued person no but you know a, a, a nice pork shoulder i mean some of those chunks look like nice pork shoulders so yeah. i'm just saying i mean and they probably were but there are some that are not as great so to softball it in i could smell the morning air uh at towards the tail end of green room once they got outside and were escaping. Oh, yeah. I could smell that dewy morning air. Mm-hmm. I could also in... Which is the one with slow-ass Jeff? Is that Saw 3? Slo- uh, yeah, Saw 3 is the one with slow-ass motherfucking Jeff. The pig vat. Yes. That... Uh, okay, now that you mention it, yes. Or Resident Evil 7. Oh, the the, ba- the Baker family dinner table. The Baker family dinner table. Some and some of the stuff you come across in Outlast Two is the same the same kind of way. Yeah, where it's just like rotting food. Yeah, and so it goes both ways. I can yeah. I can smell delightful things or putridity. So yeah, that so, sucks. N- now you know. That sounds awful. <laughs> I'm really sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's fine. 
There have been movies that I've been watching and I'm just like, man, it must smell awful in there. And then there's also knowing about the production of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and, and the oh my heat God, and the, yes. how the meat was actually rotting on set. It was, yeah, it was rotting and, um, yeah. So no matter how good the food may or may not look, just know it was putrid. Yeah, that sucks. So yeah, that's but, why I like movies like Chef to clear my palate and just oh, go. Oh, Chef is such a good movie. Mm. Not horror. It's but. not horror. Okay, that's true. We don't. Okay, we don't only watch horror movies. That's yeah. the thing. Is I do watch a lot of horror movies, but I also really enjoy like actiony espionage kind of films. Oh, yeah. So I I recently rewatched Vantage Point, and mm. that and I love that movie. I love um, Patriot Games and. Uh, not as big a fan of A Clear and Present Danger, but like stuff like that, I also yeah. really enjoy. And I love a good musical. Fair enough. So I am a very odd person. <laughs> I think you're a balanced person is what it sounds like. I mean, that is also fair. Or at least you, you like a balanced variety of things. Mm-hmm. You don't just listen to one type of music. You listen to many types of music. That is also very true. <laughs> The algorithm's got nothing on her. Spotify has no idea what the fuck to do with me. <laughs> Fair. I'll make a new playlist and it's like, I don't know, man. Maybe she wants this. Who knows? Anyway. So. Do I need to pick a new card? Please pick a new card. Hmm. This one. It's a hand. It's hands. It's hands and what are they doing? They're almost touching. They're almost but they're not touching. quite touching. Well, it's as good as I could find. Anticipation. Oh, Frankenfurter. So our minds can be incredibly powerful and even work against us when experiencing a heightened state. Yeah. Even ones induced by horrific imagery. Mm-hmm. Our bodies can even react to emotional stimuli. Have you ever felt what was shown to you in a film or described to you in print or other media? To an extent. I have certain phobias <laughs> that... When they are being shown or described, I start to have a little bit of a panic attack. Mm-hmm. And so I will have to, like, touch parts of my body, like my back and my arms, mm-hmm. to make sure that I'm fine. Mm-hmm. There's one short story in a book in particular called The Screaming Skin. Ooh. Yeah. That one was not good for me. No, I can imagine not. I've read it once. And I regret it to this day. Fair. Another thing that I always... Like, I will literally grab this part of my body whenever I... Whenever there is an Achilles tendon scene Mm. in a horror movie, I can't have my feet on the floor. I pull my feet up. And if I can, I will, like, grab my... Like, cover that part of my body with my hands. And I, it, I, it's something that I've done ever since I was younger and I first saw Pet Cemetery. Yeah, with Gage. Yeah, I will always pull my feet up and cover that area of my body. So Hostel must have been kind of tough? I made myself watch that scene once. And yeah. I've never watched it since. <laughs> I, I also have a problem with eye stuff, but I have no problem watching her eye get incinerated. Yeah. That yeah. I'm fine with. But it's the, the Achilles... Te- it's... In particular, when he gets up to walk away and you see the split. Yeah, that separation. The separation uh, that, oh God, even talking about it, I want to touch my Achilles. 
I, oh god. <laughs> I think two of the most common ones. If if you can't relate to what T is saying, I think two of the most common ones and I'll throw in a bonus one that I've said since I was like 9 and people hate it when I say it. Yeah. So I'm going to share it with everybody. Congratulations, well done. So, just in preparation, my hand my hands on you, okay. Two of the most common ones. I'll I'll start with the bad one and I'll go to the apparently funny one. Okay. When people start talking about spiders. My feet aren't on the floor, so I'm okay. Yeah. That tends to get people feeling kind of... I'm sh- I'm shaking right now. Like, I just shivered twice. From a word. <sighs> from, from a word. Something that our mind has told us because is I touching can, us. Because I can, you can feel, feel it. it. I can feel the, the legs, like, on my... Ugh, but there's God. nothing there. I know there's nothing there, but I can still feel it. Another another common one that is used in comedy tropes all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, having experienced this, it is not funny. It's amusing to watch as long as it's not happening to you. And that is getting kicked in the nuts or hit in the balls or fall and straddle a pole. Wh- how, whatever iteration. It's funny for a second and then you're like, dude, you need to go to the hospital. I can also tell you getting kicked in the groin hurts if you are a vagina owning person also because there was one instance where i was having a fight with someone and they kicked me in that area and it hurt like a motherfucker so should i share the one that always makes people cringe actually i've got two that make people cringe go for it just know that you're probably gonna have to give me a back rub later (laughs) neither of these are gonna really impact your back i can promise you that oh fuck okay go one was a phrase that I may have heard in childhood and just started using, and then all the adults around me told me to stop saying that because it made them uncomfortable, and that is sliding down the razor blade of life. Oh, God, that hurts. That hurts to think about, because I have a really good imagination, so I can yeah. picture it in my head. And the next one I might have to edit out. All right. And it's something I've never seen in a movie or in a book or anything else. Okay. But it's the most excruciating thing I can think of. Mm-hmm. And that is taking nail clippers to someone's teeth. Why would you say that? Oh my god, my mouth hurts. My mouth hurts thinking about that. Mine does too. See? <laughs> um, there are some phrases that I cannot stand because they make me picture it in my head. Because again, I have a really good imagination. Which is, at times, both a blessing and a curse. So certain phrases I fucking hate, like no skin off my teeth Mm. or no skin off my nose. Mm. Like anything that's basically any iteration of the phrase, no skin off my blank. I can't stand. I hate it. I, oh God. You okay? I'm I'm like, I'm trying not to suck my teeth because we're recording and that's audio murder. So the follow-up question to that is, so how, how did this affect your enjoyment of the film, book, or game that you were experiencing with the touch. Well, the the short story I referred to, I never read again. <laughs> so it caused some avoidance. It caused it caused avoidance with that because it's. Uh... And then when it comes to the Achilles tendon thing, I mean, I said how it affected. I mean, right. I can't. I ha- if I know that that scene is coming, in a particular movie, particularly if it's one I've seen before, I will prep for it. Mm. <laughs> What was the, there was one, um, cause I mentioned I also have an eye, a stuff with eyes. Mm-hmm. Would you rather? Oh yeah. Where there's a, um, if you haven't seen, would you rather? It's basically Jeffrey Combs plays this rich guy 
who invites these people over to his house once a year for a dinner party. And he's very rich. And all of these people are desperate for money for some reason. And throughout the night, he plays with them an escalating game of like, would you rather and and um, daring people to do increasingly horrible things. And at one point, someone has to uh, again, apologies for anybody else who has eye things. Um, There's a character who has to cut his own eye with a razor blade. And I've been told that that scene wasn't that bad. But I will never know because I will never watch it. <laughs> Having had my eye cut uh, uh-huh. due to a injury, it was, was no one actually cut my eye. It was just a finger got in my eye and it cut the lens of my eye. Mm-hmm. It always looks worse than it is, generally speaking. Well, maybe not always. What? Like, I mean, if, if you pluck someone's eye out, it's as bad as it looks. But yeah. I'm just saying like a superficial injury. No, that's fair. Looks. Sorry. No, you're okay. Uh, I got very lucky with an injury as a child. I got um, hit in the face with a piece of basically sheet metal. Mm-hmm. It was a, like aluminum siding. Okay. And from the middle of my eyelid on my left eye up through part of my nose down the side of my face got cut. And you can't even really you can't you cannot tell. No. There's like one small scar that's up by um, like my eyebrow. Right. But. They said it came very close, like like a centimeter, another centimeter, and I would have lost my left eye completely. Oh, wow. And I think that might be why I've always had an, an issue with eye stuff. So, I don't know. I just associate, I just have that, like, pain memory when it comes to eye things. Okay. Very well. New card? Yeah. What are you doing? I have a system. Okay. Go with your system. <laughs> really? <laughs> what? No. Okay. Why? What is this? What do you see? I it's some Salvador Dali shit. I see a person walking in and out of a clock, and there's a desert, and a cow skull, and I don't know what I'm supposed to see here. Time goes by, change is constant. Oh my god. (laughs) This this is where I'm cheating. One of our senses (laughs) is time because time is a constant. Yeah preferences and social norms shift yes i mean that just is true just look at what you thought was funny on youtube or tv or whatever five ten years ago go back and look at it now and then go did i seriously watch this shit or yeah. i mean not for everything i mean there's still some gems out there but there's some stuff that i used to watch that i'm looking back on it now i'm like i cringe at some of the oh, stuff yeah. i used to watch that being said looking at your preferred horror media now yes how does it differ from when you started your horror journey? Oh my gosh. Oh, I'm so glad you asked, David. <laughs> <laughs> I I know I've said this before. I was not always into horror movies. I was a very, uh, a very chicken shit kind of kid <laughs> to where... So my sister does not remember this. But when we were kids and Are You Afraid of the Dark would come on on Friday nights, she would go through and turn off all of the lights in the house because she insisted we had to watch Are You Afraid of the Dark in the dark. And it always scared the shit out of me. I I was not afraid of the dark. I was afraid of what I couldn't see. Does that mm. make sense? Sure. 
And so I was not very adventurous. There were some times where we would watch a scary movie by accident on the weekends. So I still remember the one time we were channel surfing and we came across um, Poltergeist 2. Oh. Specifically the scene where they're drinking tequila and then that worm thing comes out of um, Craig T. Nelson. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was like 11 when I saw that the first time and it scared the absolute shit out of me. And then there's the preacher in that movie who just... The preacher did it for me. Yeah. So I didn't really get into horror movies until high school. And in the early 2000s, one of the things that started to be really big was Dark Castle remakes. Mm -hmm. So I cut my horror teeth on stuff like the remakes of House on Haunted Hill and 13 Ghosts. 13 Ghosts to this day is still one of my favorite horror movies. But I stuck with things in that vein for the longest time. I didn't really venture until I got much older. So in my late teens, early 20s, it was very much like um, there were some of the classics that I went ahead and watched Friday the 13th and Halloween and, and Nightmare on Elm Street eventually, that kind of thing. But my go-tos were usually things like 13 Ghosts, Cabin Fever, Final Destination. Uh, Jesse and I used to watch The Faculty all the time. And I still have like a nostalgia hit for those kind of movies. Mm. Like even stuff like Ghost Ship, which is another Dark Castle. It's not a a good movie, but I fucking love it. I don't know why. That opening scene is absolute perfection. And the murder montage... Mm. That's about halfway through is also just chef's kiss good to me. Yeah. But I've gotten to the point now, and I don't know if it's an age thing or if it's just I've been in, I've been a horror fan for so long that I've started to diversify because I don't think when I was in my early 20s, I would have watched very many specifically like A24 kind of stuff. Right. I don't think I would have watched stuff like that when I was much younger. Hmm. But now I can appreciate a good artsy horror film like Midsummer, just as much as I can appreciate a good slasher comedy like Freaky. Does that make sense? Yeah. So your tastes have kind of changed, kind of like someone who starts getting into culinary adventures and they're like oh i tried stuff with this spice and you kind of focus on this spice for a while or, or yeah this, or this type of cuisine for a while and then and someone goes by the way have you ever had caviar and you're like i don't know if i would like that and then you try it and you either love it or you hate it right or like wines like whenever like people that start to get into wine yeah they'll start out with the the basic stuff and then they'll kind of start to go from there until they figure out exactly what it is they like and they may still go back to the their old favorites occasionally but it's a journey. I feel like when you get into anything in particular, you have a journey that you go on where I don't want to say that you start out with the basics because saying basic can have negative connotations in the current, you know, cultural zeitgeist, but simple. Your tastes are simple when you're typically when you're first starting out in a new interest. Yeah, you start out with what's closest to what you're familiar with. Right, exactly. So to go back to your uh, cuisine thing. So if you were to say, I want to get into French cuisine, you would start with the stuff that's easy before moving up to the stuff that's a little bit more complicated. Right. 
or maybe a little more challenging. Right. Fun fact, one of my favorite French foods is escargot. I've never had it. Do you like butter? I, I do like butter. Do you like garlic? I love garlic. You'd love escargot. Okay. Don't I think mean, about the fact that it's I mean, a slug. I love shrimp scampi. I can't imagine it's that much different. What's well, snail. Yeah. Yeah. And I, what are shrimp if not ocean bugs? Well, yeah, but snails are very different texture from... I know texture. Shrimp. I meant like flavor-wise, it's probably about the same uh, or pretty similar. No, it tastes like butter and garlic. Yeah, and shrimp scampi tastes like butter and garlic. Oh, fair. I knew what I was saying. I, <laughs> apparently so. <laughs> Crack me up. Thank you. This is a fun journey. I know, right? Is it last card time? Um, I've got to follow up on this. Oh, okay, cool. Have there been constants among your your favorites? This ebb and flow, have there been constants that, like, I know you mentioned 13 Ghosts has been a constant. Do you have any other constants that no matter what adventure you go on, you still have these mainstays? Absolutely. I have, so like everyone else, or, or most people, at least as far as I'm aware, uh, I feel like most people have a comfort food. Yeah. Or there's like a, a, a certain set of, these are my comfort foods, and if I'm feeling this way or this way or this way, these are the foods that I would want to eat. Sure. Some people maybe even have comfort beverages. Some people I know will go back to particular books and stories and, and music, all kinds of stuff. I have comfort horror movies. And then I also have horror movies that I put on if I have stuff that I need to get done. Right. So if I'm homesick, my comfort horror movies are the Saw films. I know I've mentioned this before. Mm-hmm. I have them. I have them all on Blu-ray. David was kind enough to get me a box set for our uh, for Christmas one year. Yeah. And then those fuckers made a bunch more movies. They, they made two more. Yes. Mm. One I I'm not sure if I'll ever watch Spiral again because it annoyed me so much. But Jigsaw was not bad. No, it wasn't bad. Um, my real, o- my only real gripe with Jigsaw is that alphabetically I can't put it with the rest of the films because <laughs> I have my stuff. It's al- it's alphabetical. It's just how it is. Uh, so there's at least two movies to a disc, so I can pop in a disc and play and be good for several hours so even if you doze off you you might wake up to a familiar scene and you're still right there right exactly although i will say the fifth film is my favorite Hmm. other comfort films or maybe not comfort films i have stuff that i'll put on if i am home alone and i have chores i need to do i know a lot of people will probably just put on music I like to put on a movie and it has to be something that I've seen so I don't have to pay attention. So because what I will do is I will put on a particular movie that I've seen a million times and I will go and do some chores and then I will come and sit and watch some of the movie and take a break. And I do that with Resident Evil. Mm -hmm. Uh, I will also do that with Alien versus Predator. Okay. Then there are certain movies where it's... I watch them for comfort at the, like a particular time of year. It's just like a tradition thing. Like I will always watch Halloween at Halloween. Right. That's just a thing. I will always watch Black Christmas, the the remake. I will always watch that movie every December. It's just a tradition. It's like I watch Die Hard every December also. Because Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Yeah, absolutely. So on this journey, what comes next? What are you looking forward to or dreading? What, what films am I into? looking forward to? Or is there something that you haven't explored that you'd like to? 
I mean, even if it's just for research for, for this podcast, uh, do you, what do you see coming coming down the way? There are some um, some classics in the genre that I've never seen. I've never had the opportunity to watch the Universal Monster films. Oh, really? So okay. like, yeah. So like Dracula with Bela Lugosi and the Wolfman with Lon Chaney. I've never seen any of those. Oh, I've okay. never had the opportunity. I would love to. Just because they are, they are the cornerstones. Mm-hmm. I also feel like I haven't seen enough Hammer films, and those are a cornerstone of the genre in a very different way. Absolutely. There is some new stuff coming out soon that I'm looking forward to. I saw a trailer the other day for this. It's called Black Friday, mm-hmm. and it's like a zombie horror film kind of but it's set in a toy store on black friday and as someone who's worked retail i was like this is gonna be amazing and it's got bruce campbell in it and devon sawa and i'm just i am here for it i'm so excited for that movie trying to remember what else is coming up uh antler should be around the corner antler should be coming out soon which that's been pushed back a couple times um mike flanagan's got some stuff in the works i know I'm sure Andy Muschietti's working on something. Definitely. Actually, he is, but it's not a horror movie. No. Um, he's going to be directing The Flash oh. for, for the DCEU. Cool. But still, anyway. Well, that's, a, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Well, you have one card left. I do. Do you dare open it? Of course. Okay. You prepared these cards lovingly for me. I don't know if it was love. I was kind of cackling most of the time. You're... I had In the Hall of the Mountain King playing in my head. <laughs> and in my earbud. Nice. Alright, so let's do the last card. Indeed. It's the eyeballs. It's very pretty eyes. Mm-hmm. These eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so, much like the Sword of Omens, <laughs> this sense that is challenged both by dark caves and bright lights... Writers, cinematographers, animators, and the folks involved with their project want you to see what they've created. Yeah. How do you feel the horror genre uses sight or lack thereof to an advantage? A lot of people say show, don't tell. Yeah. But sometimes showing too much can be a problem. How do you think they use what you can see to an advantage? That is a very interesting question. So one of the things that you mentioned in your preamble was um, light versus dark. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we lean too heavily into darkness when it comes to horror. And I think there's something to be said for films that take place in the light, in the bright light of day. Because you expect scary things to happen in the dark. Sure. You don't always expect terrifying things to happen on a bright, sunny day. I honestly think that's one of the things that works so well with Midsummer is the fact that it does take place in a brightly lit, sunshiny area for the entirety, basically. So there are no, there's no dark corners for anything to hide, if that makes any kind of sense. Sure. At the same time, I do think that that there are some films that are able to kind of thread that needle when it comes to the balance. I know I just said Midsummer, which is Ari Aster, but Hereditary, I feel like, does that also. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of another one that does that really well. I got one that I think threads it pretty well. I think Climax plays with light really well, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's yours? Alien. 
You are so right. Because there are dark places and there are light places. Mm -hmm. And you almost get the sense after you realize there's a problem, after you realize, you know, after the first couple events that take place. Yeah. You still have programmed in your head, well, they're in this communal space and they're all together. So clearly nothing bad can happen. It's well lit. And then the creature emerges. And then chestburster. Yeah. So that takes away that safety of the light. Yeah. And there is no longer safety anywhere. Right. Exactly. So in a, in a way, they actually take light and what you can see and say, okay, you want to see this? You want to see? Is. Here you go. Right in your face. And now you're no longer safe anywhere. Well, and then as far as like the whole show don't tell things, I, I agree that sometimes films show too much. Mm-hmm. But then there are some films that don't show you enough. And it's not that they haven't made the thing. It's that they made some poor lighting choices. So the the main one I'm thinking of with this, and I'm sure you know exactly what I'm going to say. Yep. Alien versus Predator Requiem. Yeah, that is a very dark film. It's and so, not. I mean, yeah, a kid gets killed at the beginning. You can't see shit. Yeah. It's, yeah, a kid gets killed in the beginning, but that's not what makes it dark. What makes it dark is just. The absence of light. There's just no lighting. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, I get, one of the things that bothers me about that film is that, like, I get that the power's dead throughout town, blah, blah, blah. Hospitals have backup generators for when shit like that happens. Mm -hmm. So why is the hospital so fucking dark? I mean, shit, Pitch Black was better lit than this. Yeah. (laughs) The Descent was better lit than this. And that takes place in a cave underground. I, I don't know. I just think sometimes people make questionable choices when they're making a film and there's nobody around that says hey maybe we should like i know the work that went into the creature effects and stuff like that they that's the whole thing the great thing about like the predator and alien franchises is that they typically tend to try and go practical effects whenever they can and so i like i know you did a good job on that shit i've seen the behind the scenes stuff so like light that shit well so i can see like, I'm paying to see a fight between a predator and a xenomorph. I want to be able to see the fights. Or when you bring us this pred alien. Yeah. Can we see it? Yeah, exactly. That That's that's no show. Just tell. Yeah. Well, I mean. It's like paying to it's like paying to see like a really nice boxing match at Madison Square Garden. Oh, this is a lovely boxing match. Fuck you. I hope, you know what I, I hope that chap over there doesn't get too hurt. I'm going to punch you in the boob. <laughs> Sorry, go on. Bitch, you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah, You're pay- yeah. You pay money to see a boxing match between two really good boxers. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing is lit by like a couple candles. Well, Barry Lyndon action going there. Exactly. Yeah. Ain't nobody paying that. No. It's about as bad as paying for pay-per-view. Back in the day, like 90 some odd dollars to watch a fight and it's over in the first round. And oh, then you're like, well, that's uh, tragic. Yeah, I watched that. That happened. I think it was round two or something. Like yeah, that, but still, there are some directors that I feel like play with light very well. Mm-hmm. Um, Guillermo del Toro is one because his his stuff tends to be very it's just beautiful. I'm trying to think of somebody else. Who is the guy that directed The Witch? Now I have to look it up. I don't remember. No, I, one note, I don't need you. I don't need you either, Spotify. I'm clicking on the wrong shit. That's The Witcher. That's, goddammit, autocorrect. Do, 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 do
So Robert Eggers, he's another one that, that plays with light really well. Because hmm. he did The Witch and uh, The Lighthouse. Okay. And for a black and white film, you really have to know your lighting. I, I really like that we're getting these directors that are playing with different techniques and trying to do new innovative things and not just like... Because that's I feel like the thing that sucks. When you look at a lot of film genres, a lot of what we're getting anymore from, from most genres is remakes and reboots and stuff that is based off of existing properties. I feel like horror in general has the opportunity to be more original just because I, I think horror fans for the most part tend to be a little bit more forgiving. There are absolutely like toxic aspects of the horror community because they're, I mean, let's be perfectly honest. There are toxic aspects of any fandom. Yeah. It's just a thing that happens when you get a large group of people together a certain percentage of those people are going to be the worst possible part of that group. And that's a bummer, but it's just a reality of, it's just, that's sociology. It's how societies work and groups of people work. But I feel like in general, horror fans tend to be more accepting and more forgiving when it comes to certain things. Mm -hmm. So we are absolutely 100% fine with directors trying new things and maybe branching out a little bit. Yeah. Because... While it doesn't always work out, it's nice to see something new and something different. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Very few genres can you say, okay, so this is going to be kind of kind of like this, but in medieval times. And for almost every single other genre of film, except maybe comedy, they'll be like, absolutely not. Try yeah. again. And in horror, they'll be like, hmm, okay, medieval times. I, I see that. Okay, yeah could really play with some issues there or space <laughs> it's like right. well you know and and i mean science fiction does does a lot of that too i mean look at you know the whole run of sci-fi films i mean fucking shark to puss for crying out loud right well when it and when it comes to basic human fears our basic fears don't typically change over time there are the same set of things that like there's a, there's a basic set of human fears i feel mm-hmm and while there, some of that may grow and change with the modernization of society and, and, and all that noise, some things remain constant. And so you can take a particular concept and you could stick it in any time and place and it would, it would probably work. So in a sense, you're saying horror media doesn't change what we fear. Horror media makes what we fear more creative. Mm-hmm. Cute. <laughs> There's actually, there's a Stephen King quote. Um, hang on. Now I have to find it. So there's this quote that I really like from Stephen King. There's actually a, a poster that I had on an Amazon playlist for the longest time, and now it's not available anymore. But it is, uh, we make up horrors to cope with the real ones. Hmm. It's part of why I will always defend the horror genre, if that makes any kind of sense. Yeah, there's enough scary shit out there. Well, and I... <sighs> horror films allow us to exercise that emotion safely. Right. There are some people that I that I know that they're like, oh, I don't know how you can watch that stuff. I don't mm-hmm. know how you can watch things like Saw. And, and, and part, of the, part of where it comes from is 
that wanting to feel fear in a safe way. But I also I'll, I very much look at psychological questions. And I think asking and thinking about psychological concepts, like what would you do in this situation and having these moral quandaries that some films present, um, I think it's healthy for us to to think about things that maybe we don't want to think about. I feel like people that watch horror movies and that kind of we kind of force ourselves to think about bad things. And in doing so, that makes us better able to cope when bad shit actually happens to us. Yeah. Because we've already kind of we already have a baseline of what we are going to do to cope with that feeling. Because as great as comedy films are, they're not going to help you process negative emotions. No. Whereas I feel like learning to process the emotions that come with watching a horror film can help you with processing the emotions from something negative that happens to you in your everyday life. Would I have to work on a group project? Well, at least my face isn't you know, surgically attached to someone else's ass. Well, you, I mean, that's <laughs> I mean, taking it that's taking it to the extreme, but but yeah. I mean, I hate to invoke Human Centipede, you know, first edition there, but no, that's fine. I get it. Well, and there are some horror films that make me feel not. Just, I keep saying horror films. There's some horror stuff that makes me feel other ways, other than fear. Mm-hmm. Specifically, I think about Mike Flanagan stuff. Mm-hmm. In particular, Hill House and Bly Manor, to a lesser extent, Midnight Mass. The ending of Bly Manor, the last couple episodes, I was like sobbing, crying because it was just I was just processing the, these emotions. Mm-hmm. And earlier today, I was watching Mama mm-hmm. on one of our streaming services. Right. And I had already watched a couple of things. I'd rewatched Stigmata and Bless the Child. And as a... Um, I was scrolling down to like, cause on the, uh, other things you might enjoy. And mm-hmm. mama was one of them. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I love Jessica Chastain. I love Andy Muschietti. Why not? Let's just watch this. And that was another one where I, at the end I was crying. Right. Because the, the relationships and, and the situation was just so tragically beautiful that I was just in tears. Mm-hmm. And I love when a horror movie can make me feel that an emotional buy-in yeah well you know come to think of it i'm running through a catalog of every movie i've pretty much ever watched in my life horror not every horror film but horror to a greater extent and not not even just horror films but you know horror stories and horror games Mm -hmm. although you've played more of them than i have but you'd like to watch me play horror games true (laughs) but i i feel like there's a greater emotional buy-in i mean i know i've said it before if i don't get some sort of emotional connection with any character in the first 15 minutes you're gonna have a hard sell the rest of the way Mm -hmm. whereas in the first five to 15 minutes you've got my attention and i'm like okay i want to see how this goes how is this turning into a horror even if i'm sitting there going wait this is a horror movie how how where is this scary i'm spending time with these people i'm invested yeah with horror, there becomes a threat of some kind. Yeah. And, and it's a greater threat than, you know, we're not going to close this sale or we might have to sell the farm. This is horror like, at best, people going to die. At worst, it's the end of the world. Right. Well, and with horror films in particular, if I, because it, it often is, you know, life or death situations, 
I have to care about the characters at least a little bit. Mm-hmm. If I don't care about anybody in the movie, I'm probably not going to finish the movie. Or if I finish it, I'm not going to enjoy it as much. Right. Uh, I know a lot of people fucking love Drag Me to Hell, but I could not finish it. Because my whole thing was I had to be made to care about this main character, this girl who was cursed, and I didn't get a fuck about her. Especially after that one scene. Yeah, precisely. I was like, you know what? You deserve whatever happens to you. There's a scene that involves animal harm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm not here for that. And I've had that happen to me with, with horror and even other genres where I'm, I'm somewhat invested. You know, the buy-in is taking place and right there, a character just kind of hits one of those, for me, very few things that is in my threshold of going, okay, that's a deal breaker. You're like, you know okay, what? now I go don't Go ahead care. and pull the car over. I'll walk the rest of the way. I don't I don't need to be in this car. Yeah, I don't want to go on this journey. <laughs> I'm, I'm done. And there's also been a, a couple movies where I'm like, wait a minute, is this a propaganda film? Yeah, you have said there are certain films that you don't like that because they feel like they're propaganda. Well, one of them legit was propaganda, but... Which one? Uh, the one where people are getting bonked on the head with uh, hammers and then put in pens and treated like animals. Oh, yeah, The Farm. Yeah. Don't watch The Farm, y'all. It's it's like if PETA tried to make a horror movie, but they didn't try that hard. I mean, um, don't get me started on PETA. I know. But <sighs> anyway. This was fun. I like doing these with you, and I like you made a fun little game for us. Do you have any more questions? Uh, my follow-up was any favorites, and you kind of... I kind of ran into that. Yeah. yeah. My bad. No, that's okay. <laughs> See, I write these follow-ups in case we don't get there, or if, if you're like, um... I mean, they're fine. I'm like, okay, well, I've got some follow-ups on here so we can kind of flesh this out because we don't need a 12-minute episode. Yeah. This is going to be much longer than 12 minutes, I assure you. Right. No, I just... There are some genres where I'm more likely to watch it... I'm more likely to watch films in that genre than I am anything else. Like, with comedy... Yeah. I'm more likely to watch, like, a short form like television show Mm. like if i'm if i need to laugh if i need some comedy i am much more likely to watch maybe some old episodes of bob's burgers or schitt's creek or letter kenny something like that key and peel key and peel sketches some i have some favored snl sketches also but i typically am not going to watch like a whole comedy movie i am much more likely to watch a whole film that is like a courtroom drama or a horror movie or some sort of historical movie. Yeah. Which I have also been getting into off and on. I recently watched Rosewood for the first time and learned about the Rosewood Massacre. So Oof. that was great. I have, I'm, I'm teaching myself a lot of history I didn't learn. It's kind of like horror. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> a lot of history very much reads like a horror novel. It, it so. does. Yeah, it very much so. Um, particularly for black indigenous people of color (laughs) so anyway that's always fun (sighs) but yeah that's all the questions i have this evening that was fun i like i like doing these with you i can i can arrange for us to if whenever you have had a high research load Mm -hmm. i will gladly put together one of these that sounds awesome i will find something weird on the internet that will spark (laughs) spark a fire and i'll spin it into something that uh turns into one of these that's fair sounds awesome um so you can find us on our website h2horrorcast.com is that it yes (laughs) yes (laughs) 
It's late. I've been at work all day. Anyway, yeah, so h2horrorcast.com. You can find links to our Facebook, our Twitter. You can email us directly through the website. There are also blog posts and direct links to episodes. Uh, You can also find a link to our Patreon. Mm -hmm. It is patreon.com slash h2horrorcast. You can support us financially for as little as a dollar a month. Um, Shout out to current patrons, Lizzie, a.k.a. Carnage Candy. You can find her on both YouTube and TikTok. Mm -hmm. Teresa, a.k.a. My Mom, and our friend Gray. Uh, If you are unable to support us financially but still want to help us out, you can rate and review us if you listen to us on a platform that has that as an option. Uh, That would be super helpful. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think we're done. Yeah. All right. That's a wrap, folks. Woohoo! Until next week, I'm Tia. And I'm still David. And stay spooky, friends. Bye. Music for this episode is Save Us Now by Shane Ivers. Our artwork is by Catherine Nixon. <laughs>